say happy Mother's Day to the mothers out there. And say thank you, uh, those who are mothers um, also, uh, you know, in the faith here who have discipled others, even if they were not able to have their own children. We know this can be a hard day for those who maybe don't have a good relationship with their mom or have not been able to have children, but we just know that there is a mothering spirit in that that still allows you um, to be a part of the family of God in a way uh, that lets you contribute in that, in that way. So we just want to say thank you so much for you mothers in the faith as well um, who are participating in the family of God today. Uh, I'll say too, I found out, I did not know as, as much, um, but some of you online people have told me my mom from Oregon consistently watches us online. So I'm going to say uh, happy Mother's Day, mom. I think, I hope she's out there. <laughs> I'll let you know if she gives me a text here in a little bit. We'll see what happens. But uh, beautiful day today. Uh, man, we're so glad that you all are here. My name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at Common Ground Northeast. And um, man, I just, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible, bless, I guess, blessing to my heart to hear, um, as, as somebody who used to lead worship, there's all these ways, uh, tricks, and, uh, and this isn't like bad, but like there's ways in which we like, we got to get the volume up the right place so that people sing out. You got to do it the right way so that people sing out. I feel like here at Common Ground, we don't do a lot of that. And it's um, to stop and hear the voices louder than the music is a blessing to me and just something that is like, it's a powerful moment to hear us in this room come together in one voice. So I just felt like I couldn't go forward without at least mentioning that. So um, thanks for those who led today, but also as a congregation, it's just beautiful for me to hear as a pastor. So um, I have a special little uh, moment that we're going to do today. Hattie, are you there? <laughs> go ahead and come on up here. I'm going to hold uh, the mic. Hattie, a few I would, months ago, came to me and asked when she was going to get to preach. I'll, I'll help. We'll get you there. We'll get you there. Don't worry. Come right here. You're going to hold that. You can put it right here if you want. Here, I'll get mine out of the way. And so I said, let's start by you reading some scripture for us. And so we actually thought this might be a really cool thing for us to do on a routine basis here for a while. So I think over the summer, we're going to ask some of the children in the children's ministry, some of the youth from the youth ministry to come up and to do some of the scripture reading. So Hattie is going to read to us our, our main scripture today. I'll hold the mic for you. Is that okay? So you can hold that down. And I'll just put it, put it here. But she is going to read to us. Well, I'll, I'll let you introduce it. What, what verses are you reading? Do you remember? Um, I'm reading 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 9. That's it. Go ahead. I'll hold it right here. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one of the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Hattie. She's a future preacher, I'm telling you. You heard it here first. Well, thank you so much, Hattie, for, for your boldness and for preparing this week. I'm so glad you were able to come up. and just kind of worked out today that it was on Mother's Day. So what a cool little blessing. My, my mom did, in fact, just text me. <laughs> That's great. Tested that out. That was real life. I wasn't sure if that was going to happen. So thanks, Mom. You really came through on that one. 
Um, well, um, we're, we're walking through a series. Last week, what I did is I talked about this idea of us raising our expectations as a church. And so I actually want to start by just asking that question. Did you enter in today with that sentiment, with that idea that you might expect that God could do something extraordinary today? Oh, I need to, do we have uh, children's to dismiss? Did I miss anyone? We're all good. I think whoever's here is here. All right, perfect. Um, just want to double check before I went on. But how, how, have you come in? Have you, have you started to think in your heart, in your mind, as you enter in these doors, as you come in uh, on a regular basis? Oh, I see it. I see the football. I'm just ignoring it. Um, but there is this. It, oh, it's, it's a wild Sunday already, so. Just hold that ball, Butterfingers. <laughs> Um, but, but so as we come in today, are we thinking with a heart that is expectant that God could actually do something out of the ordinary, extraordinary, this morning? And in studying for this sermon, I came across the story, the life of a pastor and evangelist named George Mueller. He's a, a, a guy who led a small church in Bristol, England. He's pretty well known, so you may have heard this story, but I want to just give it a little snippet of his story. He was uh, alive during the time of Charles Dickens, right? So here's this excerpt, so get, kind of get that, that idea in your head of the timeline here, and it just said this in one publication about his life. Each day as George walked the streets, he saw children everywhere who had no mom or dad. They lived on the streets or in state-run poorhouses where they were treated badly. George felt God calling him to open an orphanage to take care of the children. George prayed, asking God to provide a building, people to oversee it, furniture and money for food and clothing. God answers his prayers. It said this. This is a direct quote um, from, from one of the publications. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat, the house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take 300 children into the dining room, have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and just waited. Do you catch what's going on here? They don't have food during this meal. 300 kids just sit down, thank God for the food, and waited. George knew that God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning, and I got up and baked three batches for you. Let me come and bring it in. Soon after that, there was another knock at the door. It was a milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed, so he asked George if he could use some of the free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. The needs of the orphanage were met each day. Sometimes a wealthy person would send a large amount of money, or a child would give an amount received as a gift for doing chores. Many times food supplies or money came at the last minute, but God always provided without George telling anyone about his needs. He just prayed and waited on God. Now, Mueller cared for over 10,000 orphans during his life. He started a Bible college. He supported 130 missionaries. He is known for being a man of extraordinary faith. And if you've been in church circles for a while, you've probably heard stories like this, right? Or maybe a one-off event where somebody shows up and the exact amount that they needed was in the mailbox or the exact amount that they needed was available to them at the last minute without really telling anyone there are these stories of people who make great leaps of faith and even take uh, on uh, obligations that change the direction of their life. If you know somebody who's given up anything or everything to become a missionary and gone overseas, somebody who maybe put their reputation on the line to stand up for God, somebody who dropped everything they had or walked into a dangerous situation because they were being obedient to something God called them into and they were furthering the kingdom of God through it. Or maybe you've been in an emergency yourself personally. 
And a moment of faith is required, even though you hadn't planned for it. You have to come to this place where you've maybe met the end of your means or you lost control because it was outside of your ability to do whatever you needed to do and you had to put everything in God's hands and you had to step out in faith and saw God do something there. Some people tend to be thrown into it without their expectation. Others just tend to be really good at it, right? And they're kind of annoying, right? (laughs) Have you met one of those people? They just trust God. The one person you know that seems unfazed, cool, calm, and collected, no matter what's happening, they're just like, you know what, God's got this. We're fine. There just seems to be these people with extraordinary amounts of faith, like George Mueller, and it's a gift. In fact, we read about it today, a gift of faith. And we're going to talk about that today. And what I want us to do is just to kind of search our own hearts as we're going through it. Ask ourselves if we've ever been inspired by someone who has done a great act of faith. And then let's ask God at the end of this service some dangerous prayers, if you're willing. So last week, what I wanted to do um, was give you some definitions. I want to do the same too. We're not going to spend a lot of time in Greek words, but I just want to kind of give you this base understanding of what this word faith means. So to, as, as Hattie, thank you so much, Hattie, as Hattie read, to another faith by the same Spirit. So first, this idea, this gift of faith is not the same as saving faith. It's something completely different. It's not the trust that's required from all of us in order to be saved, in order to accept salvation. That's kind of a a general faith. I don't want to call it, uh, we talked about this in our preaching collective, I don't want to call it casual or average because that's an extraordinary event in itself. But what we're talking about today is not that. It is a special measure of faith that God uses to work miracles, to do healings, to sustain a person when they've gotten to the end of their own abilities to sustain, to take a risk on behalf of a kingdom endeavor. And so at its core, the definition of faith is simply this, it's trust. The word in Greek is pistis. It is often translated over and over and over again as trust. Often when I read that word faith, I replace it with the word trust just to see how it interacts and how it changes, how I view that. It's having this confidence or this certainty or some sort of uh, ability to step out as if it was like uh, this, I'm sure it's going to happen, we're going to make this move. And so taking an action on behalf of this confidence and certainty, I want to round out that definition with giving you some opinions just as I was studying. One person said, faith is the ability to envision what God can do, trust him to accomplish it, even when it feels impossible. They say, I know God said it, and I'm going to believe it. These people, this is another one. Uh, one. One pastor said, they have, the people with the gift of faith have big prayers, big goals, big dreams, and they are often not shocked when God does it. They say, that's just what God does. I heard someone here, they were asked, how do you describe your gift of faith? And it was between them, uh, a husband and wife. Uh, and apparently she had the gift and he didn't because she looked and laughed at him and said, I, I just more naturally trust God first before stretching, stressing out about things. To which they said, and I don't, I just stress immediately. And so it's this kind of faith, right? As we build our definition of, of having the gift of faith, it's all of these things kind of in one thing. We, we take all of these perspectives and I want us to kind of build our understanding of what it means because what it does is incredibly important. Faith is what energizes, it's what fuels the supernatural work of God in our life. 
it's not the only way, right? Like, uh, what, what I don't want to depict today is that if you didn't get healed, if you didn't get your miracle, that you just didn't have enough faith. But, but I don't want to say it's, that's, that's not off the board. It's not impossible that happened, but that gets used as an abuse over and over and over again. So it's not just that, but there is some sense also on the other side of it, though, that often God says, Jesus says, it is your faith that has healed you. But sometimes even people with faith don't get the rescue, don't get the healing. Sometimes there's this other interaction of whatever God is up to in that moment. And so part of the reason we're teaching on this gift is because if we want to see God do extraordinary things, we are going to have to exercise extraordinary faith. Faith is the fuel that the other gifts run on. And so there's some need for an extra measure of it, and we need those people in here. As difficult as it is when they trust and we're like holding on for dear life, we need them to use their gift to help calm us, to help inspire us, to help show us how to do it, to lead out when we would say, I'm not sure about this. So most of us have this issue of trust and control in our lives, right? Most of us have been given the gift of, I just want to control things. Some of us have an extra measure of the gift of, I want to control things. Meaning, I trust me more than I trust you to do that thing or make the plan or execute a project to finish the task. But what we often don't realize is that we also trust ourselves more than we trust God. And so Hebrews 11.1 gives us the best definition of faith, and I'm going to read that to you. It says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. But in contrast, we tend to have confidence in and assurance about what we do see. All right? We trust what we can measure, what we can predict, what we can observe, what we can understand, what we can then control. These things are often considered even more real to us than the things that are unseen. And I mentioned this last week, but I want to read just an excerpt from a book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. He explains, in his opinion, why we have this tendency to do this, why we tend to think of the things of faith as not even being a reality. He says, some thinkers divided the world into feelings, things that are true only for me, and facts, things that are true for everyone. He gives one example, one philosopher, Kant, lumped prayer and religion together with other things we can't be certain of, such as love or right and wrong. Insert faith here. They belong, the, to, the, they belong to the feeling world, a personal opinion reflected on the top half of a chart that we're going to throw up there for you. In the bottom half of the chart, there are things that we are certain of, such as trees and cars. They are the public and real, true for everyone. Do you see this? This is directly from the book that I'm quoting from. Now, most people tend to feel the world, right? Like beauty, that's, it's fine. Art, personal, private things, the spiritual. You see novels up there because they're stories, religion, myth, right and wrong. All of those things are things that have been separated out from the reality of normal life. And I used last week this analogy that I'm going to return to of the attic and the bottom story. 
But let me finish this quote. Miller continues, author Nancy Piercy summarized the split between facts and feelings, saying the lower story became the realm of publicly verifiable facts, while the upper story became the realm of socially constructed values. And when you lump God together with feelings and subjective opinion, then God is marginalized. Prayer feels odd. And remember, his book is about prayer, and I would say so does everything else that we might put up in there. Faith and actions of faith become incredibly, incredibly odd when we see them. And so this is what I was trying to point out with that sermon in the first sermon, the attic and the the house illustration. This top part that we see here is all the things that they would say went up into the attic. And so none of us would say these things don't exist. None of us would be that bold. Like, yeah, art is real. It's a good, spirituality is real. We have ideas of right and wrong. Like, none of these things don't exist, but we put them up in the attic of our brain. Because we don't think or actually believe that they affect the day-to-day of our lives. They're things that we actually think we, we, we probably don't need them. They're nice here and there. And a little sprinkling of them from time to time is good. But we don't actually need those things. It's something that doesn't affect my day-to-day living. And as a result of this, we no longer have an integrated view of the world like the early church did. You see, these things weren't separated for them. We have a moment in history that disintegrated these things separating out our understanding of what is seen and what is unseen. And we call it modernism. We call it the age of enlightenment. And I'm not saying that all of the things that came as a result of that are bad, but it's like having two arms and you're only recognizing the existence of one. And so you're going to keep using this and keep using this to the point that you just forget that this one even exists altogether. And so the idea is that I want us to understand that this separation, the age of enlightenment, modernism, have had a much stronger and negative effect on things of faith than we have realized. And so don't hear me say that all of this is bad. That separation was probably the problem, not necessarily the existence of these two things. In fact, we tend to see those who blend this world, when you come across someone like that, as really strange. You come across someone like that and like, how oh, you're kind of, man, you, can you just be a little bit more responsible? You're, you're, it's like you're disconnected from reality. Can you come back to earth every once in a while? We need you to really see what's going on. Let me give you some examples because we'll tend to say something like this. That they say, well, let's pray about that situation. And we're like, well, that's cute. <laughs> but eventually we need to make a plan. They say, let's ask God to find out more about this situation. I'm like, nah, I'm going to Google it and find out all the information that I can on this situation. They ask, how do we do it, God? What's the way through? And we ask, what's the latest best practice, business model, or book out there that speaks to this issue? We say, there is no way to do it, but they look at it and say, I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but I know you're going to. Amen. And so let me put this in in the perspective of the biblical history. When we see Pharaoh's army behind us and a sea in front of us, the average person comes at that with, how are you going to get out of this? This is impossible. There's no way to do this. We're all going to die. While the person with the gift of faith calmly waits and relishes in the disclosure of God's movement in this situation. And they say, all right, God, 
How are you going to do it this time? So there's this tension between people who act in this extraordinary measure of faith, this conflict that instead of us hearing what the Scripture has just said, did you hear what it was called? It's not a nuisance of faith. It is not a hindrance of faith. It is a gift of faith. And so we wonder, man, why aren't you strategizing a little more, <laughs> considering all the options at your disposal? Do, do, can you do your homework, please? And the person with faith looks back at us and says, why aren't you trusting God? And so there's a tension of the who or what are we going to trust in a given situation at times. I think that in order for faith to play a significant role, this is where it kind of comes home to us right now, an active role in our lives that translates into big moves of God taking place in the history, the future history of Common Ground Northeast, we have to stop stopping these people from using their gift. We have to let them help us pull down that attic door, climb up those stairs, and start throwing things down there and allowing these things to be reintegrated together. Because again, it's not like we deny that strategies have to happen, but we also have to flex that other arm of going to God first and saying, Jesus, how do you want me to do this? What do you want me to do in this situation? We have to let faith operate along with, and maybe sometimes instead of the things we tend to see as most trustworthy in our lives. I think one level of maturity is when we begin to trust in God's solutions before we trust in other solutions when we even have them. When the first go-to isn't just, well, let me, let me take care of this, the material, the way, the way that I know, the way that I've been discipled, but we actually stop and say, hold on, beforehand. Now, I remember this was a tension. Uh, my, my son Titus is here with me, but we had a car breakdown one time. And I remember thinking, okay, how do I teach you? He, he was panicking a little bit. It was on the way to a soccer uh, practice. And, uh, you know, he's little. He didn't know what to do. And I remember thinking, what do I do best to teach him through this situation? And I was kind of thinking, okay, first I want you not to panic, right? And then I thought, okay, then we need to think up. And then something for some reason hit me. And I'm like, oh, actually, stop. I started in the wrong place. First, we're going to pray. Jesus, what do you want us to do? Then, yes, don't panic. Please don't panic. <laughs> then we're like, okay, look around us. What do we have at our disposal? And we tried to figure out what we we're going to do. And we ended up just being close enough. Though it was a little bit of a walk. We walked over to the place that we needed to be. And then we were able to take care of the car on the other side of it. But just trying to build in this rhythm of not practicality necessarily first, but prayerfulness in conjunction with this practicality that makes sense together. Now, now one of the things I think is important for us to see is um, if we want to get to that place where we trust God first, not, n n n and, and then we get to those practical parts, but when we trust God first, and that's like our, our, our reaction, that's our response, that's the thing that happens out of a gut, even visceral understanding of these things. You, you have to keep in mind that if you have lots of solutions, if you grew up in a context where you had all of the solutions and resources at your disposal, we have been trained to go to those things first. But hear me, when you have not had that experience, 
when you have less resources to answer your problems, when you didn't have a lot of solutions at your disposal, you know who you went to first? God. And so I want to kind of put in front of us that those who have had less resources may have been exercising this muscle of faith a little bit longer, a little bit more often, for a lot deeper with maybe more experiences. And I would say that the scriptures even teach us then that we need to become students of those who have had to exercise this faith. And so if you're someone, so, so here, this, when, when you have less resources to answer your problems, you didn't have solutions outside of God, so you have this muscle that's maybe a little bit more developed, and if you're someone who thinks miracles, healings, and supernatural events just don't happen anymore, maybe it's because you are so well-resourced, so enveloped into a culture of having solutions that the way you operate just doesn't allow room for God anymore. It doesn't allow for the context. Listen, this is one uh, um, that I've heard before. Erwin McManus said, we want to see miracles miracles happen, but we do everything in our power to get out of the context wherein miracles happen. And so we have this situation where those of us possibly with privileges and advantages in this life are actually holding on to hindrances to a walk of faith. And so we, the more, I'm going to say this one, one more way and then we'll move on from this. The more we have, the more we will have to overcome in order to see God move in big ways. And so this is the heart of the rich young ruler, like sell all your possessions, like that's a lot to ask. But if you're the widow's mite and all you have is two pennies, it's like, I mean, it was a lot to her. I'm not trying to make light of that. But there's a sense wherein like, oh, yeah, I can, here we go. I've had to operate all the time in my life in a way that has allowed me to do this without resources. So this is nothing new. And so there's those of you who that is your testimony in this room. What I want to do is encourage us all to have bigger, bolder kingdom movements in our life that force us to stop and say, Jesus, I'm kind of in over my head right now. I'm going to need you to step in on this one. And if we stifle those for whom this comes naturally, for those in here who are easily in that placement, in that posture, we continue to see the stale operation of normal possibilities, regular achievements, and best practice that sometimes work and sometimes no, but they will produce just average normal results. So where has God peppered our church with those who have this great gift And maybe where have we hindered, stopped, said, hold on, can you be a little bit more responsible with your decision making? And how do we allow them to begin to have influence here? Well, before we end, what I want to do is to go back to Hebrews, because remember in Hebrews 11, there's something here that is attached to the gift of faith. It says this, and I'll repeat what I said, 11, 1 and 2 said, faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. I don't have time to read it, but there are 15 examples, over 15 examples of incredible faith given by a writer from the history of God's people, starting with creation, adding in Abraham and Joseph and Moses. And we can't go through them all, but this is where I want to pick up in verse 29. It says this, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea 
and onto dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall we say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets and those who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, who became powerful in battle, who routed foreign armies, women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others, come on now, who were tortured. This is where it takes a turn. Refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes and in, gro- and, and in the ground. These were all commended for their faith as well. Yet none of them received what they had promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I got a couple more verses, stick with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, sorry, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's an insane track record. When we read through these things, I mean, half of this thing is all story after story. And this is a summary of those things that we're going through and seeing the way that God had intervened, had done things. And that also some had gone towards the sword and were not rescued because they were living for something bigger than themselves. And we have to realize that it doesn't always, always, always end in rescue. But our God can still do it. And we are just called to act in faith no matter what. And so listen, is it safer to operate not on faith? Absolutely. You get to control all of that stuff. That's a much safer plan, but we're called to be and committed as a church. Remember, our core value is we are courageous people. And so what kind of stories, here's, here's the heart check, what kind of stories of faith have you gotten? What kind of stories of faith are you building right now today? As a young Christian, the testimonies of people who radically embraced Jesus in my life amazed me. It drew me to God. It empowered me to think I could do things beyond what I was capable of thinking I could do on my own. It told me that there were supernatural possibilities at work. And I remember listening to stories and thinking, wow, this lady angel who has no clue who I am, but I happened to be in the audience when she was telling about all the things she was doing overseas and telling people that she needs to be prayed over because of the things going on, walking in faith, this powerful woman and then sitting at a, at a discipleship meeting with an elderly gentleman 
And I said, hey, man, I need people to disciple my college students. He said, you know, I, I'm not sure that I have time. Let me think through this. I'm like, cool. So, like, so what are you doing? And I'm not saying none of you all are busy, but he straight dead eye looked at me and said, I'm improving my golf score. That didn't inspire me to anything. You might love golf. That's your thing. I'm not hating on golf right now. But what I'm saying is he made an exchange and he smiled at me. He's like, that sounds pretty silly in terms of what you just asked me to do, isn't it? Like, yeah, man, can you go back and pray about possibly giving up one of your five days a week for golf and meeting with one of my students every single week for coffee in the morning? I want to remind you that the next generation of the church is watching you being discipled into what they think normal faith looks like in the kingdom of God. Is it courageous faith or is it boring stories of chasing the American dream? Maybe they'll break through because what are you going to do if your child comes to you because they're reading this book and they start to believe the words in it? They actually read about Gideon and think they can overcome some incredible odds. They read about the things that Moses has done. And they said, hey, Dad, how about we just pray about this situation? That's what I read about. You asked me, what if, what if they actually try to do the things that we read about in these scriptures? If I'm honest, it probably doesn't look like kids who grow up to be clean-cut little boys and girls who follow all the rules, live in manicured lawns, and avoid risk at all costs. If you want to step out in faith, you have to embrace risk. If you want to be courageous, you have to step out in risk. If you want to be bold, you have to step out into risk. And since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses in the scriptures, and we look at stories like George Mueller and thousands of people who have stepped up to the challenge into steps of crazy faith, I assume that that gift exists in this building too. It has to. And they have been put here to inspire us, to teach us, to lead us. I say us because I don't think this is necessarily a gift that I have. And we get to be participants in that next great cloud of witnesses, that next generation. I've said it before, that was their story. What is our story of faith going to tell? What is it going to teach the next generation and so I want you to hear me. You need stories of faith. Ones that you can tell the next generation that you're proud to say, look, we stepped out and God did it. Or look, we stepped out and we were faithful even though the thing didn't happen all the way like we thought it would. And so the question today is, when was the last time you made a big step of faith? When was the last time you took a leap? Because these, this gift of faith also comes with a whole host of testimonies. Ones that we can read about or ones that we can be about here in our day. Ones that we can learn from others and hear the stories of or ones that we get to tell the next generation because we decide to step out ourselves. And so if you're here today and you have this gift, I want you to hear me say this. We need you. You're probably like, yeah, I know. I've known that for a long time. <laughs> We need you. Be unbound today. 
Be unbound in the hearing of today's word that you are a gift and we invite you who sit comfortably in a season of risk so that the rest of us, when we freak out, we look at you and you're cool, calm, and collected and that comforts us, rubs off on us and allows us to be more courageous the next time around. We invite you to help us who struggle to overcome our unbelief, to challenge us, inspire us, help us to raise the expectations of what God can do through this community in our day so that we can become a faith-driven army of people who see the works of God, healings, miracles, deliverance, prophecy, the radical love of Jesus saturate in the world around us, but not just around us, through us. Would you pray with me? If you're willing, God, just shake us. Father, thank you for giving us the gift of people who have extra measures of faith to keep us going. God, thank you for those with the gift of faith to allow us to think bigger, wider, to dream stronger, to believe that you will do greater things through us than you even did yourself. You tell us that. Who believe that the Holy Spirit is in us so there is supernatural capacity in every moment, in every time of the day, in every place that we go, Lord. And so, God, I just want to anoint that no matter how hard, how, how much we have been discipled, you allow us to break through, to punch through that ceiling, God, and to be able to lean on those with greater measures of faith than we have seen. We don't exist without people moving on faith. Church plants don't exist without moving on faith. Church networks don't exist without people moving on faith. People don't come to know you, Jesus, from not knowing you into the kingdom of God without steps of faith and conversations that I'm going to do it, I'm going to say it, I've got to say it today. So Lord, energize, empower us, fuel the works that you have in store for us through the great faith and the inspiration to be more faithful every day, greater tomorrow than we are today with those whom you have gifted us with and have that gift of faith. We ask for all of these things right now, if you're willing, <laughs> in the name of Jesus Christ, say amen. Amen. amen.